You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Our next reader is a visitor. I guess, would we call you a visitor? I suppose a a distinguished addition to science fiction in the last few years, a Canadian citizen originally from the West Indies, a uh, mover and a shaker in the world of science fiction and fantasy these days, whose most recent book, I believe, is Salt Road. Mm, New Moon's Arms. Oh, New Moon's Arms. I'm sorry. Um, and who's now working on a new novel with, I think, an astonishing title. But before I get to that, let me just say that uh, Nalo... Uh, comes to us well recommended. She's a winner not uh, not only of a World Fantasy Award, but also of the Aurora Award, which I think is sort of like a Hugo, isn't it, in mm-hmm. Canada? Yeah, yes. It's a big deal in Canada, mm-hmm. and they have some very distinguished writers in Canada. And so, um, well, without further ado, let's ask uh, Nalo Hopkinson to read from her new novel, In Progress. Donkey, I get to say yeah. it. Yeah, yes, you get to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Can you hear me at the back? Yep. Okay. Um, Thank you very much to to Jacob and and Rena for inviting me to read. This is uh, the second time in just under a year, I think. Um, I've been moving around for about a year now, and this is my second time back in the Bay Area. Um, And I have a bunch of novels that are overdue, and this is the most overdue one. I pulled out this scene to read from today and got to fiddling with it, so it's um, an hour and a half later, I was still fiddling. So know that it is not even hot off the press, it's kind of raw, but uh, let's see what happens. (laughs) I wasn't looking where I was going. I I know, how many times Jen B told me not to look back at a pursuer? Not that she knew bugger all about running. But she was right. You only lost more time looking over your shoulder. Psyched yourself out and did stupid things, such as tripping over your own feet, which I had just done. I stumbled, fell on my butt on the short, low incline down to the rocky beach. I got my heels under me, but my slide continued. I decided to go with it. The incline was only a few strides long, and speed seemed to be the better part of valor right now. I reached the bottom, stood, dusted my palms off. One of them stung. I'd put my hand down to steady my fall and skinned it for my trouble. I looked back up the incline to the bike path. My pursuer was tracking through the undergrowth on the far side of the path. It glanced my way. I hunched down and did a stooped run over to a huge hulk of junk nearby, the rusted-out half of a trunk's front cab partially buried on the shore. I hid behind it and peered through its painless front window. Today... The thing looking for me had the form of a child, just old enough to walk. It was tracking up and down the area on chubby legs. Soft brown curls framed its cherub's face. It wore rugged little baby jeans, turned up at the cuffs in the cutest way. A sweet pair of kitty runners on its feet, white, trimmed with aqua and pink. They were the kind with a red light in their heels that flashed every time the creature took a step. It always got one thing wrong, though, almost like it couldn't help revealing itself. 
itself or themselves. I'd never known whether it was the same creature hunting me or whether a different one came every time, whatever. It always looked different. Today, the detail that gave it away was its hands. They were the size of a grown man's, not a small man either. With those hands, the thing heedlessly uprooted the underbrush as it searched for me. The bush out this way got easily two feet tall, enough for a person to hide in. My haint pulled up whole thistles, thorns and all, without any sign of discomfort. On the bike path, a motorbike slowly puttered by, idling so low I couldn't hear the engine. Its rider was a comfortably fat guy, big fro restrained by a bright orange bandana, cheerful face. He looked like he'd be good to hug, share a doobie with and listen to while he reminisced about Hendrix. He looked about the right age. He'd taken his t-shirt off and tucked its hem into the back waistband of his shorts. Smart. It was a hot day. I'd been longing to do the same thing. I'd been wondering whether the occasional hiker or dump truck driver would be taken aback at the sight of a woman topless but for a heavy-duty sports bra. The Leslie Street spit felt like the type of place where the social rules could be relaxed a bit. Then I'd heard the blackbird cussing and seen the eldritch child it had tried to discourage from getting too close to its nest. <sighs> Damn me for being so absent-minded. I'd been distracted by a first taste of warm weather. This is Toronto. <laughs> the guy on the bike spotted the thing chasing me and nodded a greeting at it. Absently, it gaped its jaws impossibly wide and stuffed a whole thistle plant into its mouth. Hey, it replied through a mouthful of chewing. It had a deep, deep man's voice that matched the hands. It fastidiously brushed its hands off on the backs of its jeans. It was even creepier doing something so normal. The guy on the motorbike grinned at it, rode on. Whatever he'd seen, it had given him no cause for alarm or even curiosity. Damn. That was the other thing about my haints. They weren't invisible, but no one else saw them quite the way I did. Side effect of living on someone else's magic, I guess. Glamours didn't work on me in predictable ways. An ozone effervescence to the air tickled at my nose. Storm coming. I was right at the shore of the expanse of the eerie inland ocean that is Lake Ontario. No way to miss the wide, flat thunderclouds spread out over half the sky. Grey-bottomed, it was waddling towards me like a grimy toddler with a full diaper. A fat, wet drop landed on the back of my neck. The storm cloud was about to drop its load, and soon... The thing chasing me must have gotten splatted, too. It flinched as though it had been stung. It flinched again, yelped, and cast a panicked look up. A pa bleh. It flinched again, yelped, and cast a panicked look upwards. I mentally cheered for the storm to come on faster. As I'd learned over the years, my haint didn't much like water. In the back of my mind, when I'd run for the lake, I'd been thinking that in a pinch I could wade right in and try to wait the bastard out. It had been a cold refuge, though. Still too early in the summer for the water to have warmed up. Now, with any luck, rainwater would save me the trouble. Nasty brute was persistent, but we'd figured out a few reliable ways to discourage it over the years, my family and I. Probably the only reason I'd survived to adulthood. A few more drops splatted down. The haint yelped. It scanned the shore, even took a few steps closer in my direction, but the rain thickened suddenly. The haint made a snarling face, then ran off, swatting at the air the whole time. I watched until it disappeared into the, dump truck, into the dump truck depot off to one side. There was a steady drizzle spattering me now, but I breathed a sigh of relief and silently cursed myself for having let my attention slip long enough that I hadn't noticed that the haint was upon me until I had almost nowhere left to run. I had a look around the truck cab that had been my hiding place. 
Its lower edge was anchored with crumbling cement blocks, so it had probably been put there as part of the ballast holding together the landfill on which the lower ten miles of Toronto was built. This whole strip of shore was a wild mix of junk and nature, one of those fascinating borderland places that cities foster so well. Thistle and chamomile bushes poked their way through rounded shards of broken china. I stepped out of the shelter of the cab. I needed help, and I knew it. Dad couldn't do a thing for me in his present condition. The storm started herding wavelets ahead of itself to shore. They batted, cat-like, at my sandaled feet. The fine drizzle was misting up my glasses. In a minute, I begged. Can I have one minute? Just two minutes? The water seemed to recede a fraction, both in the lake and above it. I could have been imagining it, but I still said a polite thank you. You never know. I began searching the beach. Good thing about waterfront dump sites they made for lots of drift glass. I found a few pieces, but only one nicely frosted one, and it was colorless. No use to me. In total, my finds were a handful of frosted beach glass pebbles, two black goose feathers and one white one, and a bleached fish vertebrae found high up on the shore. It was a good inch across. Dad had told us that Mom used to like collecting bones. I looked around. No hate. I squatted down on the sand and began to sort the stuff I'd found. The fishbone was cause for hope. Maybe this time the pieces were a message, not just random crap. One time, a shell from this lakeshore had whispered, Eat your peas, when I held it to my ear. That had been the last time, though. I'd been about nine. Never did start eating my peas. It's not, I mean, it's not like she could make me. There was a pockmark in one of the pieces of beach glass. The tip of one of the feathers fit exactly into it. Looked as though the tines of the fishbone would neatly cradle one of the other pieces if I just found the right angle. Hope thumping at my chest, I began trying to mesh the two together. A sudden hiss of rain peppered me, the sand, the water. The wavelets were kissing at the shore again. My two minutes were up. All right, all right, I said, I'm going. Bloody hell, I'd have to try to read the message later. There was a bright blue knapsack lying on the ground near where I'd made my descent. It was on its side, gaping open. It had a crumb of sand crusting one edge. It's probably what had tripped me. I went over to it, picked it up. Nothing inside. One strap torn, front pocket half coming off. Not too bad shape otherwise. I dumped my finds into it. From the pockets of my jeans, I tossed in my cell phone and wallet too. They'd be drier there. I hauled the knapsack onto my shoulders and strode up the short in incline to the bike path. The thundercloud was boiling almost upon me now, and though it didn't seem to be quite above me, the baby fists of rain that began pelting down were peppering me in the surrounding area for many yards around. Probably something fancy to do with the curvature of the earth and the speed and direction of the wind. Daddy would have known how that worked. Did know. Somewhere inside that softening mind of his if the gradual smoothing out of the wrinkles of his brain hadn't already taken the knowledge. I hurried along the path as the wind picked up. Rain water pockmarked the surface of the lake. The Ciceros was all, uh, an almost comforting white noise. Thunder rumbled and chuckled. A bright stitch of lightning tore the sky in half a few miles away. It was a longish hike back to the street. I made a mental note to stay away from tall things, trees, telephone poles. So many times Daddy'd warned me as a girl not to hide under trees in the rain. Lost your auntie that way, he'd say sadly. The lake had turned an oddly pretty, pretty greenish blue, sort of tidy bowl mixed with almond milk. <laughs> Usually it was tea-colored. 
Water on my glasses was making detail difficult to see, but it was good enough for navigating the bike path. Water trickled from my hair into my ears and down the back of my neck. I couldn't help sucking some of it in from the... Yeah, you can tell this is new. I couldn't help sucking some of it in from my mouth corners. It tasted so sweet. Though I knew the skies were as polluted as the soil. If it wasn't Genvy ranting, at, ranting about it, it was Dad, even in his mostly mindless condition. I'd only found Claire and Aqua beach glass today. No cobalt, not even the tiniest bits, not any red. I could hear her the strongest through red. But in the five years since I'd been looking, I'd found barely enough pieces to fill a thimble. Good for a hint of a whispered half phrase on good days and not much else. A man's voice yelled and I jumped. A couple of cyclists, guys in baggy shorts and loose football t-shirts came around a bend in the path, going the other way. They were hallooing for the glee of wind and rain and weather warm enough for enjoying both. I relaxed. Whatever form it showed up in, my haint always came alone and never in the rain. One of the guys splashed his bike through a puddle, holding his legs and feet straight out ahead of him. Got himself splattered in mud, which the rain began immediately tattooing patterns in on his pale skin. He grinned shyly at me. I grinned back and they zipped past me, probably heading towards the beach I'd just left. I walked a few yards more. I was soaked through already and a little chilled. Hoped my cell phone would be okay. The knapsack looked sturdy enough. It hadn't been out there long enough for the elements to make the fabric brittle or rust the metal clasps. A good brand, too, fancy hikers make. I stopped. There was a snake lying near the edge of the path, half in and half out of the underbrush. It was smallish as snakes went, about nine inches long, dark green on top, pale yellow along its sides, curled in a figure eight. My first alarmed thought was that the cyclists had run over it in spite or ignorance as we monkeys will. But it seemed whole. It glanced sideways at me, its tongue flickering to taste my air. Why was it there? If it had been sunning itself on the path, it should have gone back to its lair when the rain started, but there it lay. I looked at it, and it at me. For a few seconds, we stayed still, cocooned together in the soft sound of the rain. I took a small step towards it. It jerked, twisted its body into a shape that looked uncomfortably rectangular. Then it shook itself loose again, slithered into the new spring thistles and violets lining the path, and was gone. Something was wrong. Dad was in trouble if I'd understood the snake correctly. Right angles were anathema to Dad. He could only tolerate them in built things, not in things that just grew. From inside the knapsack, my cell phone started to ring. If I took it out in this downpour, that'd be the death of it. I hurried a little further, looked around for somewhere that there'd be shelter. Only saplings, the open beach, water pouring from the skies. The phone rang and rang, 12 rings, 15. It was only set for nine. Fuck, I said, I'm trying. The hell with it. I reached into the knapsack for the jangling phone. Maybe I'd be able to hear enough of what the caller was saying before it shorted out. Here, said a soft voice behind me. Allow me. It was the guy on the motorbike. He sat the bike like most people would sit on a big, comfy couch. He was holding up a vast golf umbrella decorated with a swirl of rainbow colors. He smiled and twirled it. The colors appeared to spiral into its white center. Thank you, I said. I stepped into the shade of the umbrella, fumbled the phone out of the knapsack with wet fingers. Lo, took you long enough, said Genvy's voice. You got to get to the home right away. Lars will take you. Lars? At your service, said the man holding the umbrella. <laughs> His voice was quiet, but rumbly. I could feel it in my belly. Genvy, I said, what's wrong with Dad? He might be fine, but he's gone. 
People at the home haven't seen him since last night. Shit. Officially, Dad had advanced Alzheimer's. The care home kept him carefully under lock and key. You were supposed to check in on him this morning, Vijou. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'd been too busy being fired. Again. I'm on my way. I dropped the phone back into the knapsack. Lars smiled at me. Can you hold the brawly a sec, he asked. Black man, Swiss name, English accent. Genevieve's boyfriends are always interesting. <laughs> I took the umbrella and held it over us both. He turned behind him and pulled a couple of helmets and a wad of plastic sheeting out of a bag attached to the back of the bike. One helmet was fluorescent aqua splashed with lemon-colored lightning bolts. The other was scarlet with beige and purple smiley faces. The plastic sheeting was fuchsia, with starbursts of an uncomfortable green outlined in chocolate brown. Lars balanced the lot between his wide thighs tucked under his overhanging belly. The plastic sheeting turned out to be rain ponchos. He pulled one on, slammed the red helmet onto his head, took the umbrella from me. Your turn. He handed me the remaining gear, waited till I'd put it on, then snapped the umbrella shut. The rain popcorned down onto my helmet. Lars slid the brawly into a sheath beneath the chassis of the bike. Handy, I said. He grinned. Hop on. Not many words to him, Lars. I slipped the good strap of the knapsack over my shoulder, hopped on, wrapped my arms around his solid middle. He was good to hold, even through the crinkly plastic. You ever saw Hendrix perform? I asked him. He raised up off the bike a bit, gunned it. It roomed into life and we took off. As we went by the dump truck depot, I saw a tiny form huddled under the body of a garbage-encrusted truck. My haint. The wet side of its face glistened and ran a little more than you'd expect from just rainwater. Looked painful. The haint glared at me. I leaned into Lars's bulk and stuck my tongue out at it. Suddenly it smiled, its mouth too broad for its face. Something spilled, wriggling from its baby lips. Hard to see through the sheeting rain, but it looked like the snake messenger I'd just seen. The haint bit down, and a writhing length of its snack fell to the ground. It landed, kept twisting as though it weren't quite dead yet. My stomach twisted with it. Lars gunned the motor and the bike sped up. As we hit the main road, he leaned back a little so that his mouth was next to my ear. I used to be his guitar, he said, in his soft voice that buzzed and tickled at my ear. Jimmy's, I mean. The wind carried the words away and we sped on towards the cheerful rest convalescent home. Where the fuck was dad? You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.